Well, praise the Lord. Happy Palm Sunday to everybody. On a day like this, you like to say, Hosanna to the Son of David. Amen. And uh, today, as we get started, uh, uh, one thing I want to make you aware of, um, one of our um, um, members that, that was here for quite some time, especially in the, uh, the early years, in the foundational years of Faith Christian Center, uh, Lori Souza, for, for those of you that have been around for a while, she had gone home to be with the Lord this past week. And Lori was uh, for a long time over our uh, uh, new converts, new connections team, and uh, very, very faithful. You, you would never have to wonder where the Lord was going to be standing at her post. She was just that kind of person, very solid, very faithful. And now she's in the presence of the Lord. And uh, so uh, just to let you know the arrangements regarding that, it's at Crapo Halfway Funeral Home, which is uh, 350 Somerset Avenue in Taunton. That's uh, Crapo Halfway Funeral Home, 350 Somerset Avenue in Taunton. Visitation time is tomorrow morning, uh, 9 to 10.30 a.m., and uh, the service is at 10.30 a.m. So those of you that uh, may uh, have been around for in the house for a while and remember Lori, uh, we wanted to go ahead and make you aware of that. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. You're ready to dig into some word today. Yes, indeed. Uh, I thank Pastor Chris for the opportunity to be able to minister to you today. And uh, we want to hop right into this uh, because uh, we're also at the end of this message going to take time to receive the Lord's table together. And uh, so thank God for this wonderful season of the year. Uh, we, we honor the Lord and appreciate what the Lord has done all year long, but, but especially during this time of year, we remember what he did and the price that, that was paid to get it done. But I want to talk to you today about three different reactions to Jesus. Three different reactions to Jesus. And you see these three different reactions in three different people. One guy named Judas, the other guy named Peter, and the other guy named John. All right? That's where we're going today. Three different reactions to Jesus. And uh, we're going to look at especially uh, highlighting things that these guys uh, d did and uh, uh what they allowed to happen in their lives, especially in the days leading up to the, the death, uh, the arrest, and, and the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And first of all, we'll go ahead and uh, take a look at uh, Judas. With Jesus, for, from the, the start of his ministry, when he started choosing his apostles... And there to the end, but the sad thing with Judas is that you don't see any change. And I got to tell you, the Lord might mess with some of you today, but that's all right. He messes with you when he, because he loves you. And also, I, I need to say this because I know how the enemy works. We're not ignorant of his devices, so I'm going to say this right up front. If you see some of the characteristics of Judas in you, that doesn't mean it's all over. That, that, that doesn't mean that there's no hope for you. As a, as a matter of fact, what it just means is it's time to repent and turn. So uh, uh, don't go ahead and leave today and say, well, I'm just like Judas and there ain't no hope for me. Because the devil is a liar. So, so here's the thing. I, I need to make a preemptive strike. Because I, I know the kind of stuff that the devil says. Because... I mean, I've been around for a while and I've heard a whole lot of the stuff he has to say. And he talks to you the same way he talks to me, the same way he talks to everybody. I know his devices. I know the way he thinks. So that's a preemptive strike against anything that he would try to do to take the word and use it as a, a, a way of beating you up rather than a way of bringing healing to you. Come on now. But one thing about Judas is that he was around Jesus for three and a half years and never experienced any change. You know, he started out, John chapter 6, 
Uh, Jesus answered, did I not choose you, the twelve, and one of you is a devil? And of course, he was speaking of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. But uh, the, the, the point that I want to make there is that when, when Jesus chose him, Jesus knew something was up, that there was something that was off with this guy. He knew that right from the very start. So, so we see uh, Jesus referring to him uh, as a devil in the beginning. And then later on, at the end of Jesus' ministry, you got Luke 22. And uh, uh, starting with verse 3, it says, Then Satan entered Judas, surnamed Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. And of course, the next few verses go on to talk about how he... Uh, uh, got into cahoots with the uh, the chief priests and the captains on how he might betray Jesus, and they came to an agreement on a price for for uh, the, the the cost of the betrayal, and uh, they set up the plan there. But but the thing I want you to see here is that you've got uh, Satan in the beginning and Satan at the end, and Jesus around Jesus for all those years but was never changed. Not because there was no power in Jesus to change him, but he did not allow himself to be changed. He did not allow those words to sink deep into his heart. You remember the parable of the sower? You can have people hearing the same word and have different results. Because it's not all about the word. It also has a whole lot to do with the soil that the seed's being sown into. And Jesus said that that soil is your heart. Come on now. So don't be unchanged. If you keep on going and keep on going and you see yourself not changed, then it's time to do something about that. It's time to go ahead and stir up the soil. Say, if the seed's not taken, it's not a problem with the seed because the seed is the incorruptible word of God that lives and abides forever. Ain't no problem with the seed. So let me go ahead and stir up my heart, do something about my heart, make my heart a, a, a fertile ground to receive the seed, and then we'll start seeing some change. Amen. Let's check out John 12 as we look at another aspect about Judas. And this is a start with the first verse there. John 12, uh, start with verse 1. It says, uh, then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus, who had been dead, uh, uh, was who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. And there they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box and he used to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial for the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. Another thing we see in Judas is that he looked at worship as waste. He looked at an act of worship as though it were wasted time, wasted resources. Come on now. Now, I do need to say this. Oh, Lord. I'm not trying to ruffle your feathers. But we need to prioritize worship in the house of God. And if you come on a Sunday morning in enough time to hear the word, but not in enough time to worship, you're coming in enough time to get something, but not in enough time to give something. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Don't think of worship as waste. Don't think 
of your time in the presence of God, pouring out your heart to him, pouring out your own alabaster box before him. That's not waste. As a matter of fact, that's something we need to prioritize very, very highly. Come on, somebody. Mm. Glory to God. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Sometimes when you're ministering, you, you can feel something just hit the target in somebody. And it's like, ouch. Someone had an ouch moment, but it's all right. It's all right. And, and you know, what's interesting is that even when it comes to financial giving, even when it comes to financial giving, you know, you, you got somebody who is saying, what y'all need cushion seats for? You can just sit on metal chairs and save a whole lot of money and give that money to the poor. And you know what a good comeback for that person is? Well, you sound a whole lot like Judas today. <laughs> You're not in good company. Come on now. But, but an act of worship from the heart given to the Lord Jesus is not waste. And it never is waste. Glory to God. As a matter of fact, another aspect of uh, Judas's character and uh, that the, the we see in, in this passage is that he was a, a thief posing as a do-gooder. Oh, Lord. And uh, the, the, uh, there's one translation that actually uses the word pilfer. That he would pilfer, otherwise known as skimming from the top. You know? It's like he, he'd take just enough where he think he could get away with it, but not too much where he think it'd be noticed. But a man who was driven by greed and operated dishonestly, when he sees Jesus operating in the, the, the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge, all the time and seeing Jesus uh, by the spirit reading the hearts of men and yet right in the presence of someone who's reading the hearts of men, he didn't think his business was going to be read. He didn't think his business was going to find out, be found out. Boy, come on now. Let's be on guard. Let's never fool ourselves. Amen. Check this out. This is Matthew 26 out of the King James. And this is verse 14 and 15. It says, Then one of the twelve called Judas Iscariot went unto the chief priest and said unto them, Will you give me, uh, uh, what will you give me? And I will deliver him unto you. And they covenanted with him for 30 pieces of silver. And the reason I wanted to use the King James here is because I want you to see that word they covenanted with him for 30 pieces of silver. This happened on the same night when Jesus at the table said, take this bread and eat it. This is my body, which is broken for you. Take this cup and drink it. This is the blood of the new and everlasting covenant. My Lord. And so what you see here is you see that Judas entered a covenant with Jesus' enemies on the same night that Jesus introduced him to the new and everlasting covenant. What's wrong with that picture? Let me tell you what's wrong with the picture. The apostle Paul said it like this over in 1 Corinthians. He said, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord. And the cup of devils. He said you cannot partake of the Lord's table. And the table of demons. So the warning from the Lord is. Don't try to play both sides of the fence. Don't, don't try to. Uh, you know. Uh, uh, make an agreement. With. With, uh, uh, with, with, with the world. Make an agreement. With, with people who are obviously the enemies of God. It's not worth it anyhow because when you get in on God's covenant, you're getting in on a better deal than any man could offer you anyway. How sad to settle. Come on. How sad to settle for a covenant with man 
that'll give you 30 pieces of silver. Don't you think God's got more than 30 pieces of silver? All the gold belongs to the Lord. The silver and gold are his. The cattle on a thousand hills and the gold in the hills too. I mean, you're talking about settling for a covenant on such an inferior level. When this new and everlasting covenant that, that Jesus is extending to you has everything you could ever need and then some. Hallelujah. So bottom line is this. God's desire for you is that you're... Uh, is that there's consistency between your Saturday night you and your Sunday morning you. (laughs) Oh, yeah. They should be the same. They should not be different. Come on now. There should be one version of you. Just one. And that nobody has to wonder which is the real you because what they see is what they get. Oh, Lord. Another thing you see about Judas is that he was remorseful, but he wasn't repentant. He had regrets, but he wasn't repentant. Look at Matthew chapter 27, starting with verse 3. It says, then Judas, his betrayer, Jesus' betrayer, seeing that Jesus had been condemned, was remorseful and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? You see to it. Then he threw down the, the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hung himself. What a sad and tragic ending. Listen to this quote by Rick Renner. Repentance produces change, whereas remorse merely produces sorrow, which is often confused with repentance. Repentance produces change, whereas remorse merely produces sorrow, which is often confused with repentance. But you know, there's something called godly sorrow. The apostle Paul talked about it. Second Corinthians 7.10 actually said that godly sorrow produces repentance. Leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. So you don't want to just be sorry for what you did. Full of regret for what you did. But not changing. No, when you're really, really sorry with godly sorrow and when you really really recognize oh lord i failed you but i don't want to fail you lord i've i've sinned against you but i i don't want to go through my life this way repentance is real change i've taught uh bible to the students at sea for the last few years and i've given them what is a very simple definition of repentance And I'm going to give the same to you. Do a U-turn. Do a U-turn. Repentance is when you go in the wrong direction, you turn around, and you go in the other direction. Repentance brings real change. And remorse is just being sorry. Sometimes sorry you got caught. And sometimes just sorry because you feel awful inside, but you've not allowed that awful feeling to take you anywhere. You feel awful, but you try to suppress that awful feeling. Rather than allowing that to inspire you to change and to go a different direction, you just try to go ahead and forget about it, suppress it, rather than actually change direction and do the right thing before God. Come on now. And finally, the, the, the ultimate sad ending of uh, Judas is that he lost his office. Acts chapter 1 verse 17 says, for he was numbered with us. That, that's, that's the apostles having a discussion, Acts 1. He, Judas, was numbered with us and obtained a part in this ministry. 
But then verse 20 of the same chapter. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his dwelling place be desolate and let no one live in it and let another take his office. You know how sad this is? You know that the book of Revelation shows that in the foundation blocks of the new Jerusalem are the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. What a great honor. But guess whose name is not there? Judas's name is not there. Another took his office. He did not. He, he did not fulfill what was there to fulfill. The opportunity to be one of Jesus' original apostles that would bring the gospel to the world. Opportunity lost. As a matter of fact, Jesus said regarding him, it would have been better if he hadn't been born. How sad is that? You know, the book of Lamentations, the prophet Jeremiah, speaking about Jerusalem, said this. said, she did not consider her destiny and her collapse was awesome. She did not, talking about the city of Jerusalem, she did not consider her destiny and her collapse was awesome. Well, Judas obviously did not consider his destiny and therefore lost his office. But for you and I, here today, I want you to know, glory to God, there's hope. You can consider your destiny. You can consider the thing God put you on planet earth to do. And you can actually fulfill that destiny and see it come to pass. Amen. Well, that's Judas. How about we take a look at somebody everybody likes to pick on a little bit. Peter. All right. Now, there's so much you can say about Peter. But I want to focus in on some things that we see and patterns that we see in the, the days leading up to uh, Jesus' death. And, of course, uh, uh, some scenes after the resurrection as well. Now, as we're going through these, uh, these portraits of these three guys and the way they related to Jesus... Let the Holy Ghost help you find things inside of you. He'll go ahead and commend you for some things that you're doing right. But he'll also shine the spotlight on some things you need to fix. Let him minister to you today. Amen. Now let's talk about some of the steps to Peter's fall. One of those steps was that Peter boasted. And actually told Jesus he was wrong. You ever told God he was wrong about something? <laughs> I ain't looking. All right. Matthew 26, 31. We'll start there. Then Jesus said to them, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I've been raised, I'll go before you to Galilee. Peter answered and said to him, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. In other words, he said, Jesus, you really don't know what you're talking about. You don't know how strong I am. Now, Jesus really was trying to help him. You, you, you know one way that Jesus was trying to help him and give him the opportunity to not go down that famous tragic road that he went down? Is that you see this in Matthew 26. Uh, they're in the Garden of uh, Gethsemane right now. And it says, Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, What, could you not watch with me one hour? 
Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So, so you see that if he would have watched and prayed, he could have possibly been able to avoid entering into temptation. So Jesus was trying to help him. But what happened is Peter slept. It was a lack of prayer and a lack of spiritual awareness. And be mindful of this, that there's one word. We we talk about prayer a whole lot, but there's one word that the New Testament uses a lot. Jesus specifically, and you see it in the epistles, that is also very important. It's called watch. It's called watchfulness. It's the aspect of spiritual awareness and spiritual alertness. It's the idea of... uh, uh, of the fact that somebody, when they're really watching, they're, they're, they're more aware and cognizant of what's happening in the realm of the spirit, both on the good side of things, and they're also more aware of what the enemy's up to as well. So watch and pray. And your prayer is more effective when you're watching, when you're spiritually alert and spiritually aware. Because that spiritual alertness and awareness helps you to know what to pray about. That's a little side note, but it's worth taking home. Come on now. Hallelujah. All right. So don't sleep when you have the opportunity to have a time of not just communicating with the Lord, but a time of being able to be on the lookout, be on the watch have a spiritual alertness and awareness going on so that the enemy does not blindside you with something. Come on. And so Peter, at this moment, instead of recognizing the seriousness of the moment, Peter just slept like it was any other night. When he really, if he was watching and had an awareness of what was going on at the moment, he'd have had a whole different reaction to what was going on there. Come on. Mm. Well, what else did he do? He boasted, he slept, and then Peter struck. S-T-R-U-C-K, he struck. He thought he could help God out. You ever tried to help God out? (laughs) Yeah. That's called trying to do something in the flesh rather than in the spirit. Matthew 26, 51 says, suddenly one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Well, Matthew was nice. He didn't identify him, but John just laid it out there. John just said, Peter did it. And here's the name of the guy who did it. His name was Malchus. You know, so rash, you know, thinking that he could help Jesus out thinking that Jesus wanted him to help like this and goes and cuts off this man's ear named Malchus. Ultimately, you know what happened is that the scripture says in one of the gospels, Jesus touched his ear and healed him. Now, one of two things happened. Jesus either picked up the ear off the ground and slapped it back on his head or Jesus touched his ear, meaning Jesus touched what was left of his ear. And then here he is with a new ear and, and looks down at the ground and said, but if, if this is mine, who does that one belong to? So either way you slice it, no pun intended. <laughs> what an amazing miracle that was. Of course, you know, I have a funny family memory that I think about. I know my honey will remember this. When my daughter was little, we, we would always go uh, out to breakfast and she want a Mickey Mouse pancake. Mickey Mouse pancake all the time. And, of course, the first thing when she'd get it, she'd take her knife and she'd cut off the ear <laughs> of Mickey Mouse. So I started a trend in, in our house. You know, we could never order it this way because the waiter or waitress wouldn't know what we were talking about. But uh, we started calling it the Malchus Mouse Pancake. (laughs) Just a little true story. 
about the, the way my mind works. <laughs> Praise the Lord. All right. That could be scary. Moving along. <laughs> but what, one thing about Peter that we see a little bit further as we're following the trend, you know, he boasted, he, he's sleeping. You know, when he should have stayed awake, he, he's striking somebody, you know, uh, thinking that he could help Jesus out, thinking that he could go ahead and do something to, to change what was going on. And not being aware and having the spiritual alertness that what was going on was part of the plan of God. But also, Peter became distant. Matthew 26, 58 said, Peter followed him at a distance to the high priest's courtyard. That kind of says something, doesn't it? Because the idea for us is not to be distant. As a matter of fact, James wrote, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Don't be far away. Don't be distant. Be close. Nothing good happens when you're distant. Get as close as you can be. That's a place of safety. And that's a place where God can do the maximum he wants to do in your life. Amen. Another thing, as we follow the trail of what Peter was doing on the way down, and we'll see the, the happy ending, what happened on the way back up. But he was hanging with the wrong crowd. John 18, verse 18, said, Now the servants and officers who had made fire of coal stood there, for it was cold, and they warmed themselves. And Peter stood with them and warmed himself. So you see what's happening here? He's hanging with these officers. But these officers were the same officers who in verse 3 uh, came with Judas with lanterns and torches and weapons. And were also the same officers that arrested Jesus and bound him in verse 12 of the same chapter. And he's hanging with them. Look out for who you hang with. Remember the words of Psalm 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Blessed is is the man who stays in good company and avoids company like that. Amen. As a matter of fact, one of the things I believe he was trying to do And it ultimately failed, but he was trying to blend in. He was trying to blend in and not stick out. But once Jesus has marked your life, your days of blending in are over. Even when you try to blend in, someone look at you like, something different about you. You, know, you 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 try to blend in, it just doesn't work, you know. I mean, you, you might have used to be a professional sinner way back in the day. You, you you try to go ahead and act like you used to act, you can't do it right anymore. I mean, you know, it, it's, it, it's like you're somebody trying to be somebody who you're not. Well, here's the thing, that's really the truth of the matter, because if you're a new creature in Christ, then it's not natural for you to act like the old you used to act. So the days of blending in got to be over. Come on now. And then ultimately what happened is Peter denied the Lord. Uh, we see Matthew 26, uh, starting with 70. It says, uh, he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you are saying. And when he had gone out to the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were there, this fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But again, he denied with an oath, I don't know the man. And a little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, surely you are one of them for your speech betrays you. Then he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. Immediately, a rooster, a rooster crowed. And you see a downward progression here. You see him saying, I do not know what you're saying. He played dumb. And then the next progression, he said, I do not know the man. 
referring to Jesus as the man. This is the guy who had a, a, a description of who Jesus was, uh, of Jesus' true identity revealed directly from the Father that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And here he said, I do not know the man. And then ultimately, to try to prove that he really wasn't a disciple of Jesus, he cursed and he swore. He thought, well, maybe if I do that, then they'll leave me alone. They'll think, well, no disciple of Jesus would be talking like that. But of course, one of the things that really gave him away was his Galilean accent. He said, go park the car over there. I'm going to finish my coffee, you know, and... So that Galilean action, <laughs> it give them away. But, but the real truth of the matter is, is this, is, is that that downward progression got to the point where ultimately it was ground, uh, hit the ground failure. And, and what, what a sad story that the person who had so much confidence, but his confidence was not placed in the right person. He was so confident that he could do it. And, uh, Lord, I, everybody else might, but I won't. But he did. But how about the steps to Peter's restoration? You see this. You see that, first of all, the Lord prayed for him. And Luke, when, when, uh, when, when Jesus warned him about what was going to happen, he said, Satan has desired you that he would sift you like wheat, but I prayed for you that your faith would not fail. And when you've returned to me, strengthen your brethren. And then uh, if, if we go at uh, Luke 22, but skip over 59 and 60 and go straight to 61. Look at this. The moment that Peter denied Jesus, this is what happened. The Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows, you would deny me three times. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. Imagine the moment of that look. Wow. Wow. So you see there, you see the Lord's prayer. He said, I prayed for you that your faith should not fail. Then you got what I call the Lord's look. And at that moment, Peter remembers what Jesus said. What happens to him? Conviction happens. Tears and repentance. He realized at that moment that he was so confident that he could handle it. But he couldn't handle it. And his confidence went from 100 miles an hour to zero miles an hour. I mean, it just shut out altogether. But look at the goodness of God. And we'll go ahead, uh, go to Mark 16, but we'll jump ahead to verse 7. So verse 7 here, this is the words of the angel at the, the empty tomb. Jesus just rose from the dead. And look at how he speaks. But go tell his disciples. This is the angel speaking to the women that were there. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you into Galilee. Come on now. (laughs) Jesus singled them out. I want you to know There's people here today, people that are watching by live stream that feel like total failures. But I want you to know he's singling you out too. Not because he wants to rub it in your face. But because he already knows you're rubbing it in your own face. He's so kind. He's so merciful. He's so wonderful. As a matter of fact, whether you realize it or not, Jesus appeared directly to Peter after the resurrection. 
had a one-on-one. We know it happened. We don't know the conversation because the Bible doesn't tell us. But the scripture says in Luke that the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Paul recorded in 1 Corinthians 5 that the Lord after his resurrection was seen by Cephas, another name that's a reference to Peter. And what ultimately happened, Peter's restored to his public ministry. Jesus did that. When, uh, when, when there were three denials, Jesus gave him three opportunities to affirm his love. When he said, Simon, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said, feed my lambs. Simon, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Tend my sheep. Simon, do you love me? Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. Feed my sheep. And what happened is that Jesus, before the others, gave Peter the opportunity three times to affirm his love for him after three times of denying him. How beautiful is that? And also restored him to the office. Judas lost his office, but Peter was restored to his office, the office of getting to feed the sheep. Come on. And ultimately, you see that manifested on the day of Pentecost when Peter stood up standing and raising his voice and speaking to all those that dwelled in Jerusalem and all those that were visiting Jerusalem at the time and preached that sermon after uh, the Holy Ghost fell on the day of Pentecost. And rather than that being a moment of what looked like (laughs) uh, defeat, no, what, what happened is that the coward of Calvary became the, the power-packed preacher of the day of Pentecost. Hallelujah. Isn't God good? Amen. We just have a few minutes left, and we, we need to save some time so we can partake of the Lord's table together. But what about John? Originally called a son of thunder. At one point, wanted to go ahead and call down fire on some Samaritan city. And Jesus had to say, you guys don't know what spirit you are of. But he ultimately became known as the disciple whom Jesus loved and actually identified himself that way throughout his gospel. He never called himself by name. He, he, he identified himself in an anonymous way as he wrote about himself. In the gospel, but one of the ways that he identified himself was the disciple that Jesus loved. And so at a point where Simon Peter followed Jesus afar off, John was following closely. So closely, you can skip John 18, go right to John 19, that this is what happened at the foot of the cross. When Jesus was on the cross and he looked over and saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. That was John. Where Peter was afar off, John stayed close to the action. It's interesting. Uh, in several places in scripture, you see uh, Peter having one reaction when he came to the tomb. He said he came to the tomb and saw the linen cloths lying there, and he marveled. But the scripture says that John came there and saw the linen cloths, and he believed. Well, we know that Peter ultimately believed too. So, I mean, but, but the, we're talking about the initial reaction. The initial reaction is like, wow, look at that. You know, wondered. Marveled. But John's immediate reaction when he saw that, he believed. I'd rather do that. Because you know what? There's a whole lot of people that Jesus appeared to after the resurrection. The, the Bible says that he actually appeared to over 500 at a single time. And there was a whole lot of people wondering on the day of his ascension. That's why the, the angel said, why do you stand here gazing? The same Jesus is coming back in the same way you saw him go. But here, I got a problem with this math. Jesus appeared to over 500 people after his resurrection. But then when you get to the day of Pentecost and look at who's in the upper room, there's only 120. 
I don't want to just be wondering and marveling. I want to be believing. And how do I define believing today? I'll put it to you like this. You can be a person with a golf club. You can be a person who's approaching the ball. You can be a person who kind of hits the ball and maybe it goes six feet in front of you. But then there's those who follow through on their swing. Come on. And real believers are not just those with the golf club in their hand or just kind of approaching the ball or just giving it a little tap. No, real believers follow through on their swing. Come on now. This is uh, the last thing I got to say today. Peter emphasized his love for Jesus. But John emphasized Jesus' love for him. You know, Peter was quick to say, Lord, if everybody else messes up, I ain't messing up. Bragging about how much he loved Jesus. But John always identified himself through his gospel as the disciple that Jesus loved. 1 John 4, 16. This is the words of that same apostle. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. But then verse 19. We love him because he first loved us. We sang it today. That's reality. We love him because he first loved us. How do you identify? Do you identify first as one who loves Jesus? Well, I say let your first identity be I'm one of the ones that Jesus loves. And when you identify yourself in that way, I'll tell you this. When you're rooted in his love for you, you're in the best position to love him and you're in the best position to love others. But before you get rooted in how much you love Jesus, remember that your love for Jesus is a response to the fact that he loved you first. Hallelujah. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus, I want to see you. And after the service is done, I'm going to be hanging out here. I might be up there for a minute, but then I'll be right down here. And if you're here and you don't know Jesus, see me. You can see Pastor Chris, uh, Pastor Paul, if if y'all don't mind staying close to the front. And uh, any of our uh, 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 team that that works with uh, uh, praying for people. Just be close because uh, if you want to know Jesus or if you just realize, I saw some things today that made me realize I need to get some stuff back on the tracks again. We want to be able to pray with you and have you leave this place with your business settled with God where you can make that U-turn today, that U-turn of repentance. And even though you're going one way, you're going to leave here going the right way. Amen. 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 We're going to go ahead and partake of the Lord's table today. And go ahead and get your bread and your cup ready. And by doing this, we're making the declaration. We're not, we're not partaking of the Lord's table and the, the devil's table like we talked about before. No, no, no. What we're saying, we're all in. <laughs> we're all in with Jesus. All in with Jesus. Thank you, Lord. If you did not receive your communion elements on the way in, uh, you can go ahead and uh, raise your hand. The ushers are in the aisle and they can go ahead and serve you. And I'm going to go ahead and read the scripture to you today as we partake of this precious, precious meal of remembrance. The Apostle Paul said these words, For I received from the Lord that which also I delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. 
And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take heed, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Today, we greatly appreciate the Lord and all he's done. We appreciate his broken body and shed blood. And we realize we have no hope apart from this. So we honor him. We honor his body. We honor his blood. We partake together. You can eat the bread. Drink the cup together. By whose stripes you were healed. Who needs healing today? Stand up right where you are. You don't need to come down from to the front. By whose stripes you were healed. It's yours. It's yours. Take it now. Receive it now. Receive it now. In the name of the Lord Jesus. The same healing power that flowed out of Jesus' body. Oh, yeah. The same healing power is available right here in this place today. Use your faith. Receive it. Receiving's not hard. You just say, Lord, I'll take it. Lord, I believe this. I'm just wild enough to believe it. And I receive what's mine right now. That which Jesus paid the price for me to have. Healing in my body. In Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. As we go today, we're going to hear a song about the blood. And I want you to just stand. Stay in a worshipful zone. And go ahead and worship with us. We're going to celebrate the blood of Jesus today as we go. And after we sing this song, then you'll go ahead and be dismissed. <laughs>